0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Before we get started with tonight's episode of Ben with Bubba, got a little housekeeping for you, and tell you about a couple of our sponsors for the show. First, the QuantEdge.com are you tired of getting crushed by the pros, DFS players, and sports betters? Listen up. TheQuantEdge.com has the tools you need to play like a pro. With a lineup optimizer, injury tool, wide receiver cornerback matchups, and head-to-head tools, you'll be armed with everything you need to win. Make up to 150 lineups in seconds. See matchups to exploit and compare players to help you make the right decision you are on the fence about at TheQuantEdge.com. Get exclusive access to our industry experts, articles, podcasts, and the TQE community by participating in the premium membership chat. We at Bench with Bubba have a special deal for our loyal listeners. Using promo code BENCHED, you'll get 25% off your first month at thequantedge.com. So go check it out. Use promo code BENCHED and get 25% off your first month at thequantedge.com. Also, they are doing a special uh, raffle for a signed Joel Montana jersey. If you buy a month, you get five tickets into the raffle, a season 10, a week one. So go try it out. Also, there is a fun, fun way to play fantasy sports these days. It's called Draft. Draft.com, draft in your app store, snake-style drafts just the way you like it. They've also introduced auction salary drafts, tons and tons of fun. They have all your NFL needs you need. they got golf on the weekly. NHL is up and kicking. NBA is around the corner. you got MLB postseason. So much fun over there at Draft.com. Use promo code SDSports at checkout, and you'll get entry into a free $3 tournament of your choice. Again, SDSports at checkout for an entry into a free $3 tournament of your choice. Uh, One last thing before we get started with tonight's episode. If you can give us a rating and review on iTunes, we'd much, much appreciate it. Help me get the uh, podcast out to more listeners and expand the product we have for you. If you could give all of our shows a rating and review on iTunes, we'd much appreciate it. But you can start here with Bench with Bubba. Now, to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 124 with Clay Link of Rotowire, recapping the fantasy baseball season. (laughs) And Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 124. I'm going to talk some fantasy baseball, kind of recap the season, and talk to a person that did very, very well in the uh, bigger leagues around the industry. You can find his work over on Rotowire. He's, uh has a weekly podcast with our buddy James Anderson. He's on the radio and SiriusXM with them. He's on Twitter at Clay W. Link. Clay, how are we doing, man?
2: Good. I appreciate you having me, man. This is fun.
1: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it for sure um we we could have sat and not recorded and just watched the baseball game together but uh, you know i think we got to get going after Yellick went went deep so it's only time
2: get that out of the way before we live it's probably good
1: yeah probably a good idea there um let's just get right to it we're going to talk a lot about kind of how your strategy worked out because as you know playing fantasy baseball for so long it's such a long grinding season so many things have to kind of go your way, you, have to, you work the wire correctly, you have to avoid the big injuries. There's so many factors involved in baseball. Uh, before we get into that, though, why don't you just let everybody know your laundry list of, you know, you won a, a league I was in, but what what else did you uh, accomplish this year?
2: Well, I was fortunate enough to take down first overall in the, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Um, I won my league in the NFBC Online Championship, finished tied for eighth overall there. Uh, first in Cbs sports al analyst league uh first in the SiriusXM host dynasty league second in al labor second in tower wars head to head so yeah it was a pretty good year i'm trying to I won my hometown league but i had, I had some f- few stinkers in there as well but overall it was a really good year my best ever and so you know 2017 really wasn't a great year so now I'm just trying to just get back to the grind and and try to repeat.
1: No, I love it. That's a heck of an accomplishment. Like uh, you you just mentioned a handful of leagues you're in, and you're with a lot of the big guys in those leagues. So to to do that is very, very good. I know RotoWire as a whole did very, very well. And uh, DVR, uh, one of your co-hosts on the radio, and other aspects did very, very well. James Anderson, I believe, did well in his TGFBI also. So, yeah, you guys did very well.
2: Uh, Well, I I did did well. You know, we have a great crew here, and –
1: you know, kind of riding their coattails yeah when when i interviewed james a couple heck might have been mid-season time around the trade deadline with prospects and everything um i, I was telling him i've been a rotowire subscriber for years just because you guys the content you guys put out the people you guys have it's 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 a great tool and um i i, I really do enjoy the, the work you guys put in there so it shows getting to sit there and pick those brains every day definitely it doesn't stink
2: i appreciate that yeah we got a lot of Kind of unsung heroes, too, behind the scenes. We have you know, an army of breaking news and, and rap guys who you know, don't – it's kind of a thankless and you know, not a glamorous gig to do that, but they do a great job, and you know, we wouldn't wouldn't be
1: what we are without them. No, I love it. Um, the TGFBI, is the, like I said, the one I was in, didn't fare so well in League 6, but uh, I had just a slew of injuries and many excuses I can make. The fact that you won the overall, not just your league, the overall is is darn impressive because that was a lot of people in there. Um, We don't have to go kind of a league-by-league basis, but just as a whole, since you did so many leagues, what kind of strategies or did you have like one main strategy or types of strategies did you use when you went into these drafts?
2: You know, kind of more generally, I didn't want to pay up for pitching within the first four or so rounds, typically. I wanted to try to load up on the hitting side was able to do that. I knew that there were certain players, you know, it was kind of a player specific strategy. I knew I wanted Trinan at the price. I knew I wanted Snell. I knew I wanted Clevenger. Those guys were really common denominators in a lot of leagues and that was huge, you know, getting those three guys to anchor your staff, carry you a little little makeup for some busts early on. And um yeah, I think I you know generally wanted to go hitting heavy but then pitchers within that four through eight range, and so in that range got quite a few shares of guys like Verlander, guys like Aaron Nola, too, you know, so you know, pitching was really my strength in pretty much every league. In in AL labor, I had 59 out of a possible 60 pitching points, uh, still finished second, just because, you know, my offense was not, not very good, but um, yeah, that was generally the theme for every team is that I, my pitching carried the day.
1: That's outstanding. Um, you, you mentioned that strategy because there there was kind of two schools going into the draft season last year. It's a you needed to get one of the stud pitchers. That's what some people thought, or B, what you did, which is kind of more kind of the old school philosophy is we're going to wait on pitching and we're going to get the bats and go that way. And it seems, for the most part, that was the successful approach this year because with the injuries you saw, certain guys getting banged up, you know, getting those big time bats like you were talking about, and then getting the Snells and the Trines, obviously. Turned into be just ace Ace pitchers for your staff um, Were there any other players that you, Maybe you weren't targeting out the gate But were kind of guys that it seemed were always Common on your team outside of like the Snells And the Trinans of the world
2: mm, That's a good question you know I ended up with Bueller Walker Bueller a lot of spots That was fortunate And I, I give James Anderson some more love There because you know I, I probably Wouldn't have been on him if I hadn't Heard James pump him up for so long Jack Flaherty similar case there um, hitters, you know, I had a lot of like Carlos Santana didn't work out, but Xander Bogarts was big and it's not like Carlos Santana was that bad. He was fine. Um, but more so the, the guys that I had in common in most leagues were on the pitching side and on the hitting side, it was just kind of piecing it together. Uh, Bogarts, Malik Smith and TG FBI was huge. And a few, few leagues like online championship. I got Juan Soto off the wire and that was a game changer obviously.
1: That's uh, huge. Um, what league was it you were mentioning before we started that you had Christian Yelich
2: Had him in TGFBI, um, and that was you know I was talking with Justin Mason, the creator of TGFBI, earlier today, mm-hmm. and that was huge because in that league it was one catcher, two util spots, and so I wasn't so hesitant to load up with three outfielders right off the bat. And that league, I got Stanton, JD Martinez, and then Yelich. <laughs> And I said at the time, like, you know, I probably wouldn't do this in a typical league because I'd probably be like, well, I want, you know, with that third pick, well, I'd want to. I'd probably need to get an infielder. I'd probably need to get, you know, Corey Seeger or somebody like that. But I think that was a valuable lesson I learned in that, you know, you don't really need to be so position-focused early on in the draft. Just load up with best available and piece together what you can a little bit later
1: that's great advice there is because people do get that that way when you're looking at your draft it's like okay i've gone so far my middle infield looks weak or i've gone so far i've focused on the infield my outfield looks weak or pitching whatever like you're saying if you can just focus on get your best available players we've seen this year especially and each year there's always you know so many guys that come out of the woodworks uh but just in general so much depth became into play uh pitching was a whole different dynamic with pitchers not going so much, so deep openers so there's so many more options available as the season went on to 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 make things work that you can always if you're active on the wire can make things work speaking of the wire when you're handling all these teams it's always been a thing of mine and every year i try to tell myself i'm only going to do so many teams and then i get suckered into this one and this one and this one and this one how do you go about your fab process in handling it because when you're in you know at the end of the year and you're still in competition like you were you had to be grinding it out pretty good there so i What's your process like on a weekly basis for your fam?
2: Well, you know, it's it's a lot of time on Sundays, and that's a part of it that's just taxing, and it's a grind, you know, putting forth that kind of effort. It's not always possible every weekend, so you just got to do your best to kind of minimize the weekend's missed. and I was able to do that this year. And, yeah, really, you know, with Tout Wars, they had it at, like, noon central time, the, the deadline, so it was kind of nice getting – I'd wake up, have some coffee, kind of do, do my bids there, relax a little bit. Then later on, I'd probably spend a good two, three hours just turning over as many stones as possible, trying to see, you know, two-star guys Our one of our guys who works here. Adam Wolf, does such a great job with our projected starters grid, and you know, Todd Zola does the uh, pitching rankings. So just trying to see, you know, which, which two-star guys could I maybe get who's not really a, a big reach, who you know, might not destroy my ratios and could be a good play. So, um, yeah, a couple hours every Sunday, though, is was, was pretty much the case, just going through the list of guys who have performed lately, you know, sorting by uh, recent performance, not necessarily by most owned, but um, going with guys who have been turning it on, seeing a lot of playing time. Obviously, opportunities really the driving force in fantasy. So just seeing guys who have the opportunity or, and are playing pretty well at the moment.
1: Okay. Um, obviously, TGFBI, this was year one, and that's pretty awesome to have your name put on that title, for starters. And it's, and Justin's a friend of mine, and he's done amazing things in that, and it's only going to get bigger and better. Like I can't wait to see what's in store next year. He's going to do head-to-heads and roto. He's going to have a little bit of both to kind of appease the masses. Um, you mentioned you won your NFBC online draft. How many years have you been doing the NFBC? Because that's a whole other animal right there.
2: Yeah, you know, mostly I've been doing, like, the um, draft champions in recent years. This is my first time in the online championship. James Anderson and I got a chance to do Maine uh, because the company had an open spot a couple years ago. That was a good learning experience, you know. There's no suckers at those tables. They're just so brutal. So um, we got our butts kicked there, and it was a good learning experience, though. Um, But, yeah, I was very fortunate in, in the online championship this year just to Well, not only get Soto, but hit on guys like Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks was huge for me. Uh, Bueller, of course. Um, And, you know, I I paid up, and that was a rare instance where I paid up for, like, Kenley. I don't really like paying up for high-priced closers in those rounds, but I did get a share of Kenley. It was kind of bookended by two terrible months, but really the five months in between were really good. So I didn't really ever have to go chasing any particular category, and that that was really nice
1: that's that's a nice way to work it out because i was just curious i've talked to a couple of other nfbc guys and they always say you know like you just mentioned with that year with james anderson is that that first year is quite the learning experience because the nfbc is such a different animal if you had to kind of see what you've learned from then till now what kind of advice could you maybe give to a first timer to be like hey this is what's going to be a little different that you kind going to have to pay attention to otherwise you're going to drown Sure. Yeah. The,
2: well, the grind is one, you know, the grind is really important because we missed a couple of weekends that year. We were, you know, with the, the co-owner To you know, ideally you're not missing any because somebody can jump in, but, you know, life got in the way a little bit. So we, we learned that lesson is, you know, can't really miss fab at all, but also, and this is something that, you know, Rob Silver, I'm sure you're familiar with him
1: mm-hmm.
2: talks about, and I think it's really good advice is just, you don't have to hit a home run with every pick, you know, you, you need a lot of doubles too. So as long as you're getting your value back on a lot of picks, you can find pockets of value a little bit later. You don't have to go forcing it, you know, with either positional or categorical need early. You know, I didn't, I avoided the Byron Buxton landmines this year, the, the Billy Hamilton types, you know, those guys who you go chasing after because you, you feel you need speed. Um, I was able to, to do that and yeah, just don't, don't force the issue. Don't let, let the draft come to you. Don't necessarily worry about oh, I'm falling behind here. Or I, I need to fill this roster spot. Just take the best player available and just continue to grind for six months.
1: Now that you won the NFBC, the online, are you going back into the main or are you going to stay in the online world?
2: I would love to do the main, but if it's coming out of my pocket, I probably should. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little tough. Yeah,
2: another year of experience under my belt probably.
1: Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, before we go on to the uh, positional stuff, we were going to talk about any final thoughts on you know the draft process, your season as a whole. Any advice to anybody out there?
2: Um, you know, I I congratulate all the the league winners of TGFBI, Colden the Wolfman and and Labor, Jake Sealy and Tau Wars. You know, a lot of great people in this industry. I just had one good year. You know, I, I'm really nothing special. It's just <laughs> uh, it's about avoiding landmines too, kind of as we've talked about. Like, I was really fortunate on that front this year. Really, really fortunate. Next year, my fortunes could change, and they probably will. So, you know, just keep your head up if you had a bad year because your luck can change in a hurry.
1: No, and that's that's great advice because you know you grind, you grind, you grind. But there's certain things you can't avoid that's just out of your control. And it doesn't mean you're a bad owner or you don't know what you're doing. That's just how it kind of rolls that year. So it's a year-to-year process, and maybe you hit a hit big next year, and your your next year's Clay Link. You never know. We'll see how it goes. So let's, um, let's go into some players. We're going to go kind of just for fun here, and we can go as deep as we want or as shallow as we want on these players. It's kind of a you know, fantasy all-stars. You can call it whatever cheesy name you want to call it. Just kind of from our own perspective, what we're like, your top three in each position, my top three, kind of a surprise guy to you it could be off the wall stuff it could be whatever you want just kind of how you saw it impacting teams this year um it could be just you know you could look at the rankings and go okay it's the top 3 guys big deal or maybe it's a little deeper than that to you but uh, just kind of a fun way to wrap up the year is there's it's some positions when i was making a quick list was deeper than deep like third base is ridiculously deep we already knew that going into the year this year and look at the guys it's crazy but um, let's kick it off with the catcher's position give me your top 3 guys that you thought were fantasy all-stars this season at the catcher's position. Well,
2: I think J.T. Realmuto was kind of head and shoulders above the rest this year. Uh, the speed aspect of his game kind of went away a little bit, but good power really did it all, so you know, he was huge. Got to hear Molina. You know, somehow keeps getting it done. Him and Sal Perez are up there. But Wilson Ramos, too. I think people got into a situation, and I had Ramos and TGFBI, and he was kind of you know, him and Kiermaier were my Lone injuries so i was super super fortunate there and of course ramos made it back but you know he was a guy who in 2017 returned and the numbers just at a glance looked bad but after a couple of weeks maybe the first month after he was back from that acl injury he was pretty much back to being himself what he gives you in terms of power at that position it's really hard to find and so ended up being a really good value this season i think you know based on the the two early mocks I was a part of, he'll, he'll be a pretty good value again next year. We'll just have to see where he uh, ends up. Biggest surprise, though, may have to be Isaiah Kiner Falefa. I did not, he was not on my radar at all. He led the position in stolen bases, he wasn't anything too special, but um, at the position relative to his peers, he was he was all right.
1: That's a, that's a good sneaky surprise there because. He probably gained catcher eligibility like midway through the season when out of nowhere the Rangers just said, you know what, we love Robinson Chirinos, but we're going to start playing Calefa back there. At like, can Falefa. it's like, okay, sure. And now he'll have catcher eligibility next year. So that's a, that's a really good uh, surprise call there. For me, my, my guys uh, were pretty much the same as you. I had Real Muto, Salvi, just because like Yadier, like you said they just keep getting it done. It's ridiculous. Real Muto's still super young, which if he can get on a contending team, can be scary good. But uh, my, my other one was Wilson Ramos as well. I, I was big on him. People called me crazy for having him. I think preseason, I had him my fourth or fifth fantasy catcher on my rankings. And uh, people were like, you're an idiot. They're like, okay, we'll see how that goes. Um, he hit 306. Find me a catcher that hits that high. and not named Buster Posey anymore. And that's, that's pretty impressive to me. So, you know, you get him as late as you can there, and it really does some damage for your uh, your lineup. It's a good damage for your lineup. Uh, the the kind of – Well,
2: just one other name I'll throw out there real quick for next year, maybe. Uh, Elias Diaz. I don't know what yes. that, but, you know, Francisco Cervelli next year, but Diaz is the primary guy. You know, he, he really impressed me with what he did hitting for average and quite a bit of pop in a limited sample.
1: Yeah, Elias Diaz. I, I host a, a DFS show Monday through Fridays for baseball, and that was one of my favorite plays, especially when lefties were on the mound, but just in general. He was cheap, and when Cervelli was out, Elias Diaz produced. Like you said, he was very, very productive. Um you you'll get him undrafted in a lot of leagues probably next year. I guess definitely I gotta keep an eye on. Uh, a surprise guy for me because he finally started showing what he could do at the end of last year, I think of this year, and we'll see how it plays out in San Diego. But Austin Hedges finally showed the power. The average is still a concern, but he had three stolen bases, he hit uh, 14 home runs in only ninety one games. So if he becomes that number one they want him to be, could be really, really productive at another end of the draft type guy to look at at the catcher's position. All right, first base is loaded as you'd expect. Give me some of your first base all stars.
2: Well, Freeman kind of tops the list. Freddie Freeman. Goldie, you know, his speed kind of went away too, but after a slow start, I fact that he was able to finish with like a 290 average is really impressive. And the guy who was kind of left for dead, I know he's played other positions too. Not not left for dead. He was still like a top two hundred pick, but Matt Carpenter. After a really mm-hmm. down year. Big power spike. I I knew a bounce back was coming, but I didn't know bounce back to what exactly. Early on, I was looking like maybe he was just done. Maybe it's the back. Maybe it's, I don't know, age-related, skills decline. Who knows? But he bounced back, and I think you could also throw, you know, Reese Hoskins, a bunch of other guys in there because it's a pretty deep position as well, maybe not as deep as in past years. But um, I think Matt Carpenter's on this top three for me just given – how well he bounced back after that down year in 2017 and then the slow start this year.
1: Yeah. Um, for those listening at home, we did not talk about this ahead of time. We had the same three again, which would make sense for most of these rankings. But that's, that's exactly who I had. And when it comes to uh, you know Freeman, he speaks for himself, just like you said. Uh, Goldschmidt, I, I kept telling guys, I had people asking me early on, do I trade him? Do I trade I said, no, trade for him. Like He's going to be fine. This is just crazy if people are jumping off this train because of this humidor talk. He's going to be just fine. And it turned out to be okay. Uh, But Carpenter, this is the one where I killed myself in TGFBI because I was reading reports that he was seriously hurt. Like the shoulder or the back was, was an issue. And my team was drowning in injuries and I dropped Matt Carpenter. So... Yeah, that one I have not lived down, and I will continue to tell people about it because I will admit my mistake, and that was a hard, hard mistake to to swallow there because it was never the same. Let's put it that way. But um, watching him homer almost every night for a couple months hurt quite a bit. But, but yeah, those th- those three definitely worked for me. And then, uh, what were your surprises? Yeah, I don't
2: know how my surprise could be anybody other than Max Muncy. Yeah, that's how was Max Muncy? So good. I, I didn't end up seeing like the final leaderboards, but I know in terms of WRC plus for the season, he was super, super high. Um, I think he's eligible at what third as well, but yeah, I did not see Max Muncie. I don't think anybody did. We, we write up like twelve hundred guys for the magazine, and he was not among that twelve hundred. So yeah, he was just a guy that I did not see coming at all, and good for him. Um because It seems like, yeah, there'll there'll probably be some regression, but he seems like he might be here to stay, at least in terms of a guy who's relevant.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think he's a very, very good pick uh, on fan tracks. He's first, second, third eligible, outfield eligible. He's eligible everywhere pretty much. So you're going to have fun with that one. Um, Yeah, 35 homers out of nowhere. Guy can barely survive in the minor leagues, and he comes out of this and just crushes it. So that's that's an obviously great uh, surprise pick. Mine would be Jesus Aguilar in a similar vein, but at least we kind of maybe expected it a little more from Jesus, not to that extent. But uh, once he finally got everyday playing time, he finished with 35 homers as well, hit 274, which it actually surprised me he hit that well. So um, Jesus Aguilar would be my surprise, but Max Muncie was the guy I had written down right next to it. Um, and yeah. If you really want – if you wanted to, Carpenter is a surprise to many. So.
2: Same, man. And I, I think with Aguilar, it's interesting because he kind of got boxed in as a guy who was just like a short-side platoon guy. Mm-hmm. But they gave him a chance to be more than that, and he showed he could be. So, uh, yeah, that's a really good one because he ended up being, like, what, like a top five first baseman, top three even.
1: Yeah, he's easily – yeah, at least top five for sure. Maybe higher depending on, on your league for sure. He was uh, – he he finished very, very high because his OBP was crazy. If you're in an OBP league, he had a really, really strong OBP to go with the, the power numbers. So yeah. definitely something to enjoy there. Uh, second base, I already know who one of yours should be, but uh, give me your three.
2: Well, yeah, I think as a, as a Reds fan, I will have to include Scooter. He'll probably be three. Um, I'm not going to include Jose Ramirez because he did not get to 20 games to qualify there next year. I think he got to 16, but uh, I will include Javi Baez there instead of short. So Javi, Witt, and Witt Merrifield, and Scooter. I said this on Twitter in, like, May or June, but I, even after last year and as a Reds fan – I was not a believer in Scooter Jeanette. I did not think he could repeat. I'm happy to say I was dead wrong. I'm really interested to see what his future looks like, where it is, because it's sounding more and more like he will sign an extension with the Reds. We'll see. But I think it's probably in their best interest to find a trade partner because they got a lot of guys coming who are infielders. So that'll be a really interesting story of the off season with the Reds.
1: Yeah, I love what Scooter did this year. Like you said, doing it again. Like many thought he wouldn't re, 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 duplicate it, and he did. Um, I'd be shocked if they gave him an extension. It'd be great if they did. I think he's a heck of a ball player, and he fits that ballpark very, very well. But like you said, all the guys in the pipeline coming up, the draft picks they just made, uh, they just gave Suarez a big deal. It's going to be tough to to pay for that for sure. Um, I got Javi. I got Whit Merrifield, who was just absolutely outstanding when many thought he couldn't do it again finishing with 45 stolen bases. Sure, the power regressed, but most of us expected that. Uh, I'll still take 12 and 45 with a 300-plus average any day of the week. And uh, he's, he's still – You know, there's still some guys going over him for quote-unquote steals that I think I'll, I'll sit and wait for Wit next year. Um, my last one, you, you took Scooter, so I'm going to go a little farther off the wall, not so much a surprise. But uh, Cesar Hernandez is a guy I absolutely loved this year for where you're drafting him at, and he still finished with 15 and 19 stolen bases. Um, the average dropped a little towards the end of the year, but uh, I'll go with him as my third. I thought he was pretty good. Um, I would have went out Aussie, but uh, his second half decline really, really, really hurt.
2: Yeah, man, it pains me to not include Ozzy because I loved him. And he had a good year, you know, in the, when you look at the final numbers. But yeah, that second half decline was weird, and it's hard to know because he didn't run as much as I expected. Mm-hmm. What exactly the numbers are going to look like next year? Because if you're paying the full price again next year, you're kind of Expecting 20 plus homers again, and we'll see about that. But I think my surprise is going to be Joey Wendell, a prospect that I was just never thought much of. But he finished really good numbers, a guy who's probably going to be top three or four in the uh, American League Rookie of the Year voting. So, not a guy that I really had. I think I had him one league, and he was fine. You know, he's really a, a profitable pickup. But I think. You know, just looking at the numbers, it's they're even better than I realize.
1: Yeah, he was extremely productive. They they liked him so much he was hitting third or fourth almost daily, which at the beginning of the year, you looked at the preseason um, rankings. I don't know what James had, but, like, team rankings. Joey Wendell was barely a top 25 guy. I think he was, like, around 18 or 19. Like, he was not high up, and he was higher up, obviously, by the end of the season. But uh, he started out the year much, much off the radar. And did very, very well. So I like that a lot. Uh, my surprise, I'm not sure if he has enough eligibility next year for second base, but he had it this year. Uh, is Jose Peraza, your Cincinnati Red. I love this guy. I've been on his bandwagon. I've gotten in arguments with people that love Adelbrook Mondesi, and I, I agree Mondesi is a stud. You can use him as a sleeper at that shorter second too. He's an absolute stud. But... um the price you're paying for him in those two early mocks compared to where you get Jose Perrazzo, I think, is going to continue to get better. And you know him much better than I do. So tell me if I'm wrong. I think he's a great surprise and definitely another later round value for next year.
2: Yeah, he was the guy who's going to pick, you know, at short as a surprise. And he, um, because I really think he was my biggest whiff all year. I was, I said that 200 ish ADP was way too high. I was dead wrong. You know, I looked at, well, I watched him play pretty much every day, and he looked like a mess in 2017. There was a massive line drive rate dip from 2016 to 2017. I think it was like seven percentage points. No power, no patience. Well, it turns out he had a little bit of power, at least in Cincinnati. Runs a lot and a lot better hitter than I gave him credit for. Some of that line drive stabilization helped a lot. And it turns out, well, I think anyway, we'll end up looking at 2017 as more of an outlier outlier uh that I thought this was possible I thought that'd kind of be closer to the baseline but Roz is a lot better player than I thought he was
1: yeah I was more worried about his, his swing and miss ability but hitting 288 really opened my eyes to what we might see with this guy so pretty excited by that uh, let's go to the shortstop give me your uh, top three at the shortstop position
2: this was tough because well the first two not so tough but the third was <laughs> tough for me um and I, I included Baez at second, so I'm going to say Lindor's story, and then I'm going, to, I think I'm going to give it to Bregman over Machado. Machado played in all 162. He had a nice year. It was fine, but Bregman's leap into superstardom and really being the most valuable fantasy player, or at least fantasy hitter on that team, was pretty shocking to me. Uh, love the kid's attitude. He's got a chip on his shoulder, it seems like. Uh, power was a lot greater than I expected, ran a little bit. So, you know, a 30-10 shortstop is is really nice and hit for a high average, great counting stats. So he was the guy that, you know, if you'd ask me, what are the chances he's the Astros' most valuable roto player, Mm -hmm. roto hitter at the end of the season, I would have said maybe 5%. But he's um, he's a guy who, you know, after a really slow start to his major league career, I'm sure you remember how – poor of a start he got off to has really blossomed into being the superstar we all well most people thought he'd be
1: yeah Bregman is if you can't root for Alex Bregman you just don't like baseball period but um fantasy baseball wise I remember that first half or the first run for him last year everyone was calling for him to get sent down and he's not any good and I guess it, you know the go-to every time was well Mike Trout wasn't great his first time two guys but there uh, but uh Bregman is definitely and he keeps improving you see, like every time you think he's kind of hit his peak, he just keeps doing more and more. 31 homers, I thought maybe you'd have a better shot of seeing 25 steals and like 15 homers, but he flipped the script with 31 homers and 10 steals. He hits for solid average. Yeah, he plays a really good defense. The fact that he can play short and third base without really missing a beat is outstanding with uh, Bregman. I like that quite a bit. My other guys, uh, Lindor and Trevor Story. I had Trevor Story one just for the fact that, it was ridiculous what he did. Like he carried that team for a little while there in Colorado, and that's why they're playing the Brewers today. Um, he, he's a freak. Uh, I did not expect this. I was off the Trevor Story bandwagon, and he shocked me. I'm going to ask you right now. Did you expect this kind of production from Trevor Story? Honestly, no, but I got him in a couple spots. I got him in the online championship,
2: got him in TGFBI, just because you know, I think it was like the seventh or eighth round. Just a plausible upside pick, you know, guy playing in cores with a lot of power, a lot of swing and miss too and some risk, but I just thought the price was low enough to, to want to take the dive. I'll tell you this, next year I'll probably be fully out because it will probably cost like a first-round pick, early second. Just given the plate approach, I don't know if I could pay that price. But let me get back to the Astros for a quick second and ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather have next year between Bregman and Altuve?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one because that was another part that hurt my TGFBI team when I had the second pick and took Altuve. Yeah. Looking back on that one, that hurt. Um, I, think okay. Bre- I, I think I'd have I think i have Bregman personally. I know the steals with Altuve, but he didn't even steal that much this year, and his power kind of declined. The average was there. You know, maybe he got healthy because he saw the last couple of weeks of the year. He looked a little more Altuve Um But I think Bregman's going to keep improving. I think maybe the power is not going to be much more than the you thirty to thirty five. But that's fine. It's totally fine. I think the average is going to always be high. Steals might even go up a little bit. This. He's going to get better and better, and it's kind of like the progression I think we saw with Lindor and even Jose Ramirez, and he might not be at, like all the way to that production level, but I think this is what you're going to get from him year in and year out, where Altuve, he might have the ups and downs that we saw this year, which who knows, but you'll get a discount on Altuve either way next year.
2: Yeah, and that, that power fluctuation, too, with him, and it didn't run quite as much, so yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'd rather have Bregman for 2019.
1: It's pretty great just it's very very close cool. like, you can't really hate either one and i think a lot of it will be pitched for you based on where you're drafting i guess it's going to be the way it goes um question for you here we can kind of keep i like this kind of back and forth without following the script here carlos correa who killed many you're going to get a heck of a discount. i think in the early mocks he's going to the third round right now mm-hmm. which we, you've looked at probably the adps on smarter stuff and we thought this year's draft was deep like the first 3 to 4 rounds is ridiculous literally gives the point to take best available player um carlos correa what are you kind of expecting from him, him next year because this was a massive disappointment yeah man that's tough because i'm in the same boat
2: with him as you are with with um altuve and that you know, i had him this year and he burned me a few spots and now it's kind of like you know i'm trying to shake off that recency bias and shake it off like the the burn of owning him this year um, but you're right about the first like three or four rounds. There's so much awesome young talent in the game today that um, the first four rounds are stacked. It's a great time to be a fan, but yep. you know, I'll probably be back in the well next year or go back to the well. But I think maybe like outside the top 30 overall, quite honestly, I don't know if you're going to get that discount just because, you know, I think it was the back primarily that was the issue this year, but we don't really know exactly so, you know, I think I'd rather have a guy like maybe like Blake Snell, even Chris Bryant, those types. Um, I like him, but I think if it's like if I'm not getting even like a 10-point discount or 10-spot discount from where he was going this season, I think that's a little too pricey.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's very fair. If he falls, then yeah, but uh, if you have to pay for him, there's going to be a much better options around there. Um, you already said your surprise shortstop was Jose Peraza mine was one of the only good things I did on TGFBI it was Tim Anderson. Uh, the average is what you expected, but 2020 uh, is is outstanding. And the speeds for real, the power, maybe not so much, but uh, where you drafted him at, I think he's an insane surprise. Oh,
2: absolutely, man. That's a good one. Absolutely. I did not um, really have
1: a ton of him, but yeah, he was a big, big profit guy. All right, let's go to the third base position. You already got Bregman at shortstop. Who else you got here?
2: Yeah, Bregman at third. I I think if I'm going to say three others, though, I'll say you know Jose Ramirez, obviously, uh, Arenado, and then my guy Gino, Eugenio Suarez. What a year he had, and it kind of fizzled a bit late, but you know from from start to finish, the numbers are really good. And um, I know he probably won a lot of people their the leagues. So I was not. Really on him, ended up with a couple shares, but um, he's a guy that I kind of like Jeanette, that I wasn't really a full-on believer, but he's uh, convinced me, and as long as he's in Cincinnati, she he will be for a long time after signing an extension recently, um, I think he'll continue to be a really nice Roto guy as, as the cleanup hitter behind Votto.
1: Yeah, I, I love Eugenio Suarez. <laughs> I think he's a hell of a ball player. Um, Aaron Otto, Jose Ramirez and Machado for me, uh, pretty self-explanatory across the board there. What I did want to ask you, I wanted to wait till we talked about Jose Ramirez here. Looking at drafts, and especially these two early mocks, but even last year, do you go Jose or do you go Francisco Lindor? I'm taking Lindor. The thing that worries me about
2: Jose Ramirez at that spot, and I I don't think you could really go wrong picking them top five. One thing with a guy like that that I worry about is, is, as a guy who's a really good slugger, and he's kind of a middle-of-the-order guy, not like Lindor who leads off. Is he going to run as much? I just don't know. It's hard for me to bank on him running as much. He was running wild this year, and that was a big part of his value. Um, I think he'll continue to hit for you know 30, homer pop, but I'm a little worried that the Indians, you know, even if there's some little tweak in spring training or something, maybe they slow down on the bases, don't run so much. And so – you know, even if he gives back ten steals, that's a great season, but ten steals worth of value is still still a lot. So um I'm on board with him as, you know, a borderline top five ish pick, but I'm you know, of those like kind of top five guys in the early going here, these two early mocks, he's the one that I'm most hesitant about returning top five value.
1: Yeah, I can see that. It's gonna be hard for a guy his size to continually put up thirty plus going bases. Eventually that wall's gonna happen and uh, it'll hit for sure. Uh, who's your surprise third baseman?
2: You know, I liked him as a prospect, but I did not think that Miguel Andahar would have as good a season as he did. Um, top 10 in terms of earned dollars. I know the defense is a little shaky, but he's a guy who's just time and again was you know, hitting for for home runs, hitting for average. Obviously a good, good setup to be in there in New York with a great team. So he was a guy that I, I thought would be good eventually, but I did not expect him to – to be a kind of a stud right away.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I had with Miguel Andohar. I thought, I thought he'd be good. I didn't expect him, A, to get this much playing time this year, and B, be that productive. When you're hitting 27 homers and, and hitting for average as a rookie in New York, I was just absolutely amazed by what he did there. Um, he kind of, you know, for a little while there held Glaber Torres back, and Glaber kind of moved around the diamond. But then he thought that's where he would go at third base for a while there, and that didn't work out. So I think uh Andohar has just shocked me. And and you know, honestly, it's it's very debatable and maybe you have a different opinion. I'd give him the rookie of the year personally in the AL. But Shohei Otani, sure, he deserves it. He's he's great at both hitting and pitching, obviously. But I, I think is much, much more important to what happened in New York.
2: Yeah, man, me too. And I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I was kind of a guy who's like, Oh, Brandon Drury, nice pickup, Yankees. I can see that. You weren't the only one. <laughs> I thought he got an opportunity, especially in New York. He could actually be a, a guy in, in fantasy and very useful, but turned out that Andahar took that and, and ran with it, and who knows what happens to the jury now. He's, his future is probably with uh, yet another organization.
1: Yeah, he's super talented, and I thought when well, you know he's coming back and torching it in my, the minor leagues by his rehabbing, I even I think I put small bids out for him and, and got him in a couple leagues thinking, okay, here we go like you said, Anahar didn't let it go. And Drury, who is very, very good, he's going to have to go somewhere else and uh, figure it out. Heck, the Giants out here always need the third baseman. Eventually, Longo is going to disappear again. So um, you never know. Anything can happen.
2: Be a pretty good fit, but that, that
1: totally sap. All the power, yeah. It ruins all the fantasy appeal.
2: Already modest power, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, he'll, he'll find a home somewhere. Uh, let's go to the outfield where you could pick a million different players here. But uh, give me a couple of your top players. So, you know, Mike Trout, obviously,
2: it, it pains me a little bit, to I'm not including him, actually. But just because he missed time, there were such other standouts, and, and those being Mookie Betts, J.D., Martinez, and Christian Yelich. I know Yelich – I got him 19th in that too early mock. That was, you know, before, like, the massive final two weeks. And so really interested to see where he goes. I think he'll probably be a first-rounder, if not a mid-first-rounder, come March.
1: Yeah, I'd be surprised if he gets out of the first round. That's for sure. Especially if you're if you're drafting with Vlad Sedler, you probably won't get him out of the first round. So that that's probably a given. Um, I had this, I had the same three, so that's that's not going to change much. Uh, there could be a ton of surprises. What's one of the surprises for you? Yeah, Nick Marcakis. <laughs> no, big time, big time. I mean, I, who had him on the radar? Just be honest. <laughs> I I picked him up like
2: early on just because he was like going to tear. Batting behind Freeman, but I did not expect anything at all from him. And I know the power was not really there late, but really what he did in terms of the counting numbers and the the batting average was great. And um, you know he was probably cost you a buck if you if you got him in a deep league or really cheap and and fab. So he was he was a pretty big difference maker, and I did not see especially at his age um, him coming close to that.
1: Yeah, that was very, very surprising. Uh, my surprise would be Mitch Haniger. I thought he'd be okay, but not twenty six homers, the two eighty five average, and eight steals. Okay, he was very, very good. You know, ninety runs, ninety three RBIs. He he produced across all fantasy uh, stats for you very, very well. And you got him rather good price on him uh, at draft time. So Mitch Haniger would be my guy. He kind of quieted down after an insanely hot start, but he still kind of kept it going towards the end. So he'll be my outfielder.
2: Yeah, he um. He's a good one because I was not on him at all either. Um, I remember we did, did this thing. It was like a toss-up between Haniger and Victor Robles coming into the season. <laughs> I said it was really like a draw. I didn't. I felt like they both maybe I thought there was a chance Victor Robles would out-earn uh, Mitch Hanniger. Haniger had a really good year, and he's a guy I'm still a little skeptical of heading into next season, but he really had a tremendous season.
1: Yeah, I'm fully not on the bandwagon yet, but he definitely will uh, help. You know, if it's between him and some other guy, this last year will definitely help push me his direction. Unlike last year, I didn't want anything to do with him at draft time. Um, wait, speaking wait. of those, speaking of those young outfielders, we're gonna have Acuna, we're gonna have Soto, who you already mentioned you got in the NFBC. How do you approach those two come draft time because their price tags might be worse than Ozzy Albi's last year?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm on board with Acuna as a first round guy. First round. Yeah.
1: Actually, in that too early
2: mock, you know, I took J.D., and obviously I was going to take J.D., but um, I thought Acuna should be, like, one of the next few guys taken. I just think what we saw this season in a limited sample, just off the charts, I mean, he's on par with the best in the game, talent-wise, as long as he's healthy and knows big that he didn't suffer a more serious injury when he stepped on that bag and his knee bent so awkwardly. Um, As long as he avoids any issues, I think he could be – yeah like a, maybe the number one overall guy I mean I think he has the tools to, to do that
1: that wouldn't shock me at all uh, that, that's actually a good call all right uh, st- uh starting pitcher is absolutely loaded as you'd expect give me a couple of your top starting pitchers for you this season
2: sure yeah well I gotta include um Scherzer um I'm gonna include DeGrom and I'm gonna include Snell Berlander obviously right up there but I think DeGrom, maybe for Roto purposes, you know, the lack of wins, maybe it was a little frustrating, but you know, having an ERA that low, like 75 points or whatever it was, lower than the next lowest in the NL, just an insanely awesome season for him. And and Snell was the reason that I had such a good season. Um, yeah, and Scherzer's Scherzer. I think Scherzer's a guy that because he's – Kind of in his tier now. It used to be a kind of Kershaw in his own tier, and this this past draft season, it was you know that top four, that big four. Now it's kind of Scherzer alone in that top tier, and I just think at his age, I mean, we just don't know how if the cliff's going to be gradual, or if it's going to be steep, and I'm just a little worried that you know, he's getting up there, and I don't I don't want to pay full price for for Scherzer next season.
1: Yeah, after the last few years, I'm finding it harder and harder to pay full price for a lot of these these guys because it's just one injury and it completely ruins what you have going. But, you, you know, you can't draft expecting the injury. But uh, Scherzer, you know, 300Ks again, uh, two 5ERAs. He's, he's that good, like you said, everything about him. It's interesting this year because we had the big four you mentioned last year. It looks like, you know, I haven't really broke it down, but we could almost combine kind of the 1A and 1B tier. And it's going to be pretty deep this year compared to what it looked like last year. So that'll be fun, you know, in the offseason, kind of breaking all that down. But I had uh, Scherzer, DeGrom, and then mine was Aaron Noah. He was my long shot NL Cy Young winner going into the season, and he lived up to the hype, in my opinion. He was absolutely outstanding. So Noah is definitely a guy that I think still not getting the full respect based on those two early mocks. So I'm looking forward to if I can get him around that same draft time next year, I'll be very, very happy. Yeah, man, I love
2: – I mean, I liked Nola coming in, but I, I really liked what, what I really liked about him was the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you are going to be he's going to be marked up next year, but I agree that's probably not as much as he should be. And so, yeah, yeah I am going to probably be on him again.
1: Yeah, you know, based on just the early numbers, and obviously a lot can change, but I definitely, if I have to, you know, go early on a like a Kluber or something, and I, but I can wait three rounds and get a Nola or two rounds and get a Nola, I'd probably get the bat and get Nola later. That's kind of what I am looking at.
2: Yeah, I know I said earlier that my strategy which led to some success this season was kind of hitters first four and then or first three at least, then four through eight. Um, try to hit some pitching. But I think next year, like in the third, I'd be willing to pay up a third round price for two guys, and that's Snell and Nola. So I think yeah. if I get one of those guys in the third, I'll be pretty happy.
1: Yeah, I think Snell is as, as legit as it comes, and he was my surprise. You could have him in the top three easily. I just had, I was lazy and put him in surprise. Uh, he's been everything you could dream of and more. 221 strikeouts and in 180 innings pitch is just insane, absolutely insane. And uh, I think he's great. Uh, what would one of your surprises be if you haven't mentioned it yet? Well,
2: I mean, one thing, last thing on Snell is just doing it against, you know,
1: two yeah, win teams I and mean, the success
2: against those clubs. <laughs> Really impressive. I got a couple I want to shout out. One being Miles Michaelis um, coming up back from overseas. I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, the Ks were really underwhelming, but he was like a top 20-ish overall pitcher despite a really low K rate. So you know, it was, it's a lot of finesse, a lot of you know, dropping in that curve for called strikes. But I think he can do it for a little while yet. I think he'll be undervalued probably just because people – Want more K's uh, than he probably gives. Another one, the Kyle Freeland.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I didn't have Kyle Freeland anywhere, and I didn't really watch much of him. But he was going head to head against Bueller like a couple weeks ago, and finally got my eyes on him, and I was really impressed. Really crazy season he had.
1: Yeah, Freeland was the other guy I had written down next to Snell. Uh, Freeland, and a lot of that Rocky staff—they, on paper, and hopefully it carries over to the next year. Have figured out Coors. Uh, they they actually figured out how to pitch in Coors, and it, it's impressive what Freeland did there. If you consider, you know, "quote unquote" half his starts, we at home. He has a two eight five ERA, and you never would have thought that would ever happen for a guy that starts half his games at Coors Field. Um, and when you are looking at the fantasy stats, that is game changing because even people forget. Come next draft season, that the the numbers were that good because they'll see Colorado next to his name in the draft room, and you are going to be able to get him pretty good. So, I think that's a really good call for sure. Yeah, he was – it's a thing where it's like
2: I'm probably going to continue to admire him from afar just because no pitcher has ever really been able to Mm -hmm. consistently beat Coors. You know, Coors inflates runs by, what, 30%? And so repeat seems ill-advised to me, but I I respect what he's done.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the hard part because you you got him, you got Hermann Marquez who's been outstanding. Like the run he had in the last couple months of the season was just filthy. Yeah. But then again, you have John Gray who looked like he figured it out last year and then this year couldn't do anything. I'm mm-hmm. sure he was injured a bit, but you gotta have that in the back of your mind too. It's like, okay, Gray looked like the guy. It didn't work, so can Freeland and Marquez be that guy still? Like you said, it you might be better off just watching from afar, but I don't know. Those numbers are pretty darn good.
2: Yeah. Marquez, I'm a little bit more interested in and based on those two early mocks, he was seemed like a guy who could be a nice, you know. Small pocket of profit guy, but I'm I'm a little hesitant just given the setting, man. It's you know, how many guys have consistently beat cores? It was like Ubaldo for a couple seasons, and that's about it.
1: So. Yeah, and it, that, that's crazy when your sentence starts and ends with Ubaldo Jimenez. <laughs> so it tells you everything you need to know right there. Um, let's wrap it up with the relief pitchers, and you already mentioned one was a staple on uh, your championship teams. But give me some of your top relievers.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say yeah Blake Trinan. I mean, I might have to get a Trinan jersey just because of how how he carried me in every league this year. But Edwin Diaz, of course, too, it was a historic season. But he had a chance to become you know, just the second relief pitcher ever to get to sixty saves. He got close, didn't quite get it. And all you know, the third you could give it to a lot of guys, but Josh Hader
1: mm-hmm.
2: being just so dominant, just filthy. Even when he wasn't seeing consistent save chances, he'd come out for a relief outing and strikeout seven or eight he was just incredibly valuable so he's a guy that you know, even without regular saves and he ended up with how many like uh,
1: 12 saves
2: well he was still a top earner top five earner according to our calculator so he's there um i think my surprise is jose leclerc you know i, I had a lot of keone kella that was that was pretty nice you know i got a half season's worth of saves And in Leclerc's, you know, peripherals were good, but I did not expect him to be as good as he was. He's a guy that, you know, assuming that the the Rangers enter spring training with most of that same relief core, maybe they could trade Leclerc. But I'd imagine he he enters the closer, and I think he's going to be a pretty good value because I just because how bad that team was. I don't think people will give him enough credit.
1: Yeah, I had the same three as you did. Uh, What Josh Hader did, he. I'm so glad I grabbed him in a couple of leagues. He was filthy. Uh, and what he did leads me to my next question for you is, do you see – I'm a fan of saves holds. Some people want to stay strong with saves. But the way the bullpens are starting to be used these days, managers are actually getting smart and realizing not all saves are in the ninth inning. Um, are you starting – do you feel that we should change most leagues to saves holds now?
2: You know, I'm actually not a big saves plus holds guy personally. Just because holds are so plentiful, and that's true I, I just think, yeah managers are being more creative in how they use the back end, but I think that kind of adds a new wrinkle of strategy, and I think that's kind of cool. I just think with saves plus holds it's like so plentiful that it doesn't really it kind of eliminate some of the strategy and the skill of the game, um just because everybody can load up on on relievers and and you know really good there's so many good. Back end guys, even if they're not seeing um, save chances, like Adovino had a great year. A lot of those setup guys are pretty nasty, and when you have saves plus holds, I just think um, the souls are a little too plentiful.
1: No, that's a good point. Like because you know when they start coming in the sixth inning, that's kind of worthless just by a lefty coming in and getting one out, stuff like that. Yeah, that's pretty rough. There's, maybe if there's a better way to define it. It'd be better, or I guess make all your pitching spots just pitcher eligible and not not require certain to be starters starting to be relievers and you can strategize that way and uh, go that direction. I think might be a decent way to go about it as well. Uh, The other thing is, is you have guys like Ryan Yarborough who was the main cog in the opener. One of the main cogs for the Rays He had a three, nine, one ERA, 128 Ks, 16 wins, and he only started six games. Mm-hmm. How do you plan on approaching this opener strategy next year? Because we're seeing it more and more. Heck, we saw the Brewers do it to open their game today, and it yeah. worked out very well. The A's did it last night. I think it's going to be something we see more and more into the future.
2: Yeah, I, I do too. I I don't know how, what's actionable with it, though. You know, I still want to avoid those long relievers types, those primary pitcher types. I ended up picking up Yarborough and if you kind of had him in your lineup for. A good chunk of the season he was really profitable but um, I still want to focus on guys who are going to give me five at least you know, five and dive isn't so bad anymore so if I can get some you know fill my staff the back end of my staff with you know, a couple five and dive guys I'm fine I just don't know what's actionable with strategy just given this uh, this revolution we're seeing I think maybe in future years we're just going to have now, you're going to have to take some of those primary pitcher types. But for the time being, I want a guy who has a you know, every five days starting and you know he's going
1: um, as deep as he can. All right. Well, uh, that'll wrap us up on the players. Uh, any final thoughts on the 2018 fantasy baseball season before we wrap it up?
2: Not really, man. I, I had a good time talking with you, Brian. It was good to, to meet you, and I appreciate you having me on. We're already on to our magazine prep here at RotoWire, so it's just, you know, give us a try, rotowire.com slash free for a free 10-day trial, no credit card required, no strings attached at all. If you don't like it, just don't sign up after the 10 days are up, Uh, but I think most people will probably like what we're doing. We've got a lot of of good off-season stuff planned, podcasts, and consensus rankings, so um, we're focusing primarily on the magazine right now, but we'll have a lot of stuff up in the meantime.
1: Yeah, go go try out that trial, guys. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. They cover all the sports. They do it all very, very well. Like I said, I, it was me and I think I joined had to be close to ten years ago now. Like I, I was, I was out of college, but uh, it was a long, long time ago. It's been a while, so uh, really good stuff. Uh, they're super, super helpful. So go check them out. And people that listen to my show know that I, I am not the biggest fan of paying for content, but if it's good, I promote it. And I, I really do like what you guys do there. So
2: I really go. Appreciate- Hope to do this yeah. again.
1: Oh, we will. We will definitely do this again. Um, I, like I said, I like what you guys do. You're all very good, knowledgeable people, and I can sit there and chat with you guys all day long. Uh, go check out Clay on Twitter at ClayWLink. Clay, it's been a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. It has been fun. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 124, recap on the fantasy baseball season. Catch you guys later.